Hang in there, it is. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Hello, friends. I am Charlie Hume, and I'm alongside Smiley Kaufman once again for another episode of The Smiley Show. And we have a great episode for you today because we are coming off another PGA Tour designated event, the Memorial Tournament at Jack's Place. And we have a winner that a lot of people have been waiting to see break out for some time, and that's Victor Hovland, a guy who came close to the PGA Championship, who's won on tour, but maybe nothing as high profile as this tournament. So, Smiley, let's just start big picture there. You know, this is a guy that people have been waiting to see some some big things from. So, what sort of stock are you taking of where Victor stands in the hierarchy of professional golf right now? Well, just this year, I mean, besides Scotty Scheffler and and maybe John Rama, I would say Victor Hovland's been probably the best player um, that has played on the PGA Tour this year and, and a couple majors to this point. But I left the Players' Championship. I'd, I'd worked Bay Hill the week before in the Players, and and I got to see Victor play a bunch of golf. And my takeaway was that this guy is going to win multiple times this year. And if he doesn't win, he's going to be in the top 10. His ball striking has always been his strength. It's one of my favorite golf swings to watch. It just looks like nothing could go wrong. Uh, it's I don't think you could teach that golf swing to anybody, but mechanically, it's it's it is so fun to watch, Charlie. It's some of the things he does with his golf swing to look like he literally never can be off. Um for me. Victor, I think, is going to be a guy that at the U.S. Open this year, I just don't see how he's not going to be in the hunt. You know, he played some unbelievable golf down the stretch at the PGA Championship going toe-to-toe with Brooks Kepka. And if it weren't for Brooks really just having, you know, just an incredible week, he was the best player there besides Brooks. So I'm I the takeaway is that not surprised. I, I was it was just a matter of time before he won a big time event. And I, he's he's going to be knocking down the door of the uh, last two major championships for sure. We on this show, as often as we can, love to enter golf nerd territory. And oh, yeah. especially on matters of the golf swing, uh, we have David Woods coming up later in this podcast episode, uh, who is going to kind of talk to us a little bit about some a training aid he developed that we saw Rory McIlroy using. But you mentioned that something there with Victor Hovland, and you're clearly the expert on the show. I'm very much the amateur who probably watches too many YouTube swing videos uh, about Victor <laughs> Hovland's swing. And, and, you know, what I've seen there, my very limited understanding of that swing is that he does something interesting where he kind of the, the way he shallows the club is maybe mm -hmm. a bit unconventional. Can you just explain a little bit to myself and others listening what makes his swing so unique? He gets that left arm underneath him on the takeaway, which gets that face little shut looking down at the ball early in the golf swing. But he gets a lot of depth early in the golf swing. So when I mean depth meaning like it's not a outside takeaway like a Jim Furyk. It's it's much more inside and then it gets steep. So that shaft pitches up. And then what happens when it gets steep and, and that shaft is is basically at a 90 degree angle. Once he starts rotating to the left and his downswing, that shaft lays down so nicely. But because his wrist angles are so good, it's a very strong club face. So basically he has no he could swing as hard as he want at it and he's never going to feel like that club is behind him or the club face is looking to the right. He likes to hit pulls. He likes to see the ball fall a little to the right. So most of the time you see him aim a little right. And what I love to watch in his golf swing is if you watch his right shoulder and see how hard he covers the golf ball with it, that's what I look out for. And, and you see him do it every time. It's, it's work. It's, it's so fun to watch. This is our official disclaimer. Please do not go watch videos of Victor Hovland and try to recreate that at home. I've tried to do it. Like when I was swinging terribly, I would go on the range. It's like, oh, Victor's pretty good at this. I'm like, okay, I'll try this. And man, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that pulls the handle and, and struggles with width in my downswing. Not a good combination for, for me to try to feel Victor <laughs> on the range. I was hitting, like, if you told me to hit like a little chippy seven iron or six iron, I mean, this ball is just starting out the right field. <laughs> I, I it, it's funny. I, I have also probably in a much worse level attempted the same thing with Victor swing. I've been going through some weird neck stuff that just makes my right arm all wonky. And that I tend to come across the ball a little bit and mm -hmm. I like to hit a cut. And I was like, you know what? 
that that's a guy that I see doing a little bit of that. Maybe I can try doing that. Um, it, it didn't work. It didn't work great, but you know, maybe, maybe in the future, I get the, I get the right set of videos. Maybe talk to David Woods. Who knows? Yeah. I, I think we can get this thing on track, get some Victor Hovland fields, maybe get it right. There's nothing better than emulating pro golf swings, just watching <laughs> and then go to the range. Like I got this like that. How hard can that be to do? And then you see it on video and it's just not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like it's a little bit like growing up and playing wiffle ball in your backyard and you're like, okay, I'm doing like Barry Bonds now. And now I'm doing Gary Sheffield, except you know that that was a little bit easier to recreate. A- anyways, b- back to his result this weekend um uh, at Muirfield Village, you know, and really just the season at large. I mean, this is this calendar year in 2023, he tied for 10th at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He tied for third at the players. He tied for seventh at the Masters. He tied for second at the PGA Championship. This is a guy who's now in the updated official world golf rankings. Uh, People whose names are not Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, or Rory McIlroy. There's only one guy in front of him, Patrick Cantlay. He's the fifth-ranked player in the world. If you're power-ranking guys on tour right now, does that feel right or does that feel low? I'd say it's about right because, you know, we just talked about it. He hasn't had that marquee win until today so i think getting that added to his resume definitely elevates it a little bit more to where you're like you know what he's played like a top five player and with the the finishes he's had this season i think it's just kind of icing on the cake that that win at jack's place a place that everybody wants to win that was a a huge bump in the victor hovland stock as as we continue to move on in this busy golf summer yeah, I, I hope you went out and uh, had a uh, futures bet on Victor Hovland for the U.S. Open prior to the win this week because there are a lot of names in front of him. I think he was about 20 to 1 heading to this week, and I'm sure that number is going to move uh, as we come out of out of this win. Um, so I, there was something else that you noticed early on in the week. Uh, it, well, really, the, the entire golf world noticed this, and it was defending champion Billy Horschel, who shot an 84 on Thursday. And I think a, a lot of media members, you know, a lot of fans of golf would have said, hey, if he wanted to just head straight home and never speak of that again and, and not talk to media, he would have absolutely had that right. But he instead chose to stay around and speak to media in the flash area. And it was a very emotional uh, you know, press conference, as we saw. When it comes to Billy Horschel, one thing that you can't ever question is his work ethic. He's a very hard worker. I've watched him practice and hit balls on the range this entire year. Uh, the beginning of the year, him and Todd Anderson were working on something a little new in their golf swing, eventually going back to what they normally do in his golf swing. And now it seems there's just some things in his, that he's not comfortable with. And I I tweeted this out the other day talking about Muirfield Village saying this place is can be the easiest or the hardest place you've ever played because you have to be so precise. The dispersion of the scores that you see at this place is is larger than any golf course that we play on tour because of how precise you have to be. It rewards uh, great shots. And I, I say that except every hole except for the 16th hole out there, which needs to be blown up and figured out. <laughs> I I was complaining about that hole when I was playing it. It was it was never right. But on that same point with Billy, you know, I've been through playing really high scores on the PJ Tour. It's not fun. There's nowhere to hide. You know, everybody sees it. Everybody uh, that you feel like is talking about you and how you're not playing great. And all you want to do is prove them wrong. And the hard thing about that is that's when you start pressing. That's when you start overthinking that's when you work too hard almost so I've had situations where I won in Vegas I went back to play in Vegas uh, a couple years later was not playing well and it's crazy when you can you you know only a year ago he had a five-shot lead heading into Sunday still won but to show up and then shoot at 84 that next year it just that is golf and that the same thing happened to me in Vegas where I'm standing on tees, like I, I don't see the guy who was able to win here. But it's so funny if if uh, you would have taken me back to when I was playing well there, I would never be able to see the guy who was playing that poorly and wouldn't understand it. Golf's a very fickle game, and I guarantee you, the next time that he has a a moment where he feels like he gets over the hump, he's going to be more emotional about that moment, whether it's a made cut, whether it's a top 20, whatever it is, 
it's going to be something that propels him to kind of get over the hump. And it's very difficult to do. I've, I remember making a cut after missing a ton in a row and I walked off the green, like I'd won this, you know, won a major championship. It just feel like the monkey off your back. And it's so hard to explain because we, you try so hard and sometimes trying so hard and not getting the results. It's, it's very difficult on the PGA tour when, when you're on that type of miscut run and, and shooting high scores and working your harder than anybody out there, but not getting anything in return. you just, you just feel like you can't do anything. When you, when you feel like as a tour player, you're doing everything you can from a technical standpoint. So in Billy's case, he's, he's watching video with Todd Anderson. He feels like, it, you know, he's working really hard on the range to kind of, you know, lock in the types of fields and the things that he wants to do swing wise. Um, and he's still not seeing those results. Were there things that for you or for other guys on tour that were going through struggles that if you're doing all of that and still not seeing results, were there other places you tried to go, you know, mentally or otherwise, or, or, or things you do to kind of take your mind off the game to break out of, you know, a slump like this? The hardest thing is getting away from the game. You, you can't get away from it. So you're constantly always thinking about, about the next day on how I can leave the golf course feeling like I'm working on the right stuff. And we, and we got that soundbite from Jordan Spieth in his interview this past week. And, and he's so right. When you know, you have found something, you're like, this is it. And I think we're always trying to, when we're playing bad, get to that. Oh, wait, we figured out the puzzle. It was just this and this, and it turns into a big algebra problem where you're constantly thinking a lot when you practice and when you can't like emulate that freedom that you have on the golf course, any, even in a range session, it doesn't translate to the golf course. And I went through it. It's you're thinking over the golf ball and you can't play shots. Um, and it's more golf swings. And, and Jordan referenced that when we talked to him in the pod, um, interview we had with him this past week. Moving on to another guy who's perhaps the hottest player, if not the hottest, maybe the most consistent player on the planet right now. And a guy who with 13 of his clubs uh, can do no wrong. It seems Scotty Scheffler. I mean, uh, again, th just to put this in perspective, the last time he finished worse than 12th was in October, 2022 at the CJ cup. I believe that's now 16 tournaments in a row. It's either 15 or 16 tournaments in a row where he's finished top 12 or better. Uh, this week, he's first in strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain approach, strokes gain around the green, strokes gain tee to green, greens in regulation. Uh, and he finishes solo third because he's 65th in strokes gain putty. He lost eight and a half shots. I, I, I just, it's it's worth revisiting this because you've noted this week after week after week, how good Scotty Scheffler's hitting the ball. Um, how, another top five finish that he comes away with. If you're Scotty Scheffler, what does this feel like to you? Is it like, wow, once again, I, 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 I'm just, I'm hitting it about as good as I can hit it. And it's a top five and that's more money in my bank account. And that's great. Or is it, if I could just figure out the putter, I'd win every single week. Yeah, this should have been a five or six win season for Scotty. And it still probably can be, which is the crazy thing about how good he is. You know, this to me would have been similar to what we saw in when Tiger won five times on tour. This was probably back. I don't know what year that would have been, Charlie. You might be able to help me out. But JT went in five times. Jordan won, I think, four or five times one year. That's what Scott, that's the level of play that Scotty has been playing with besides the putter. And I don't know. I, I don't know what he, how he feels. I know what I would be feeling is as good as he is and how well he's playing. I mean, dude, he gained nine and a half strokes T to green in the fourth round. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And I don't know. It's, it's gotta be frustrating as heck. I, when you, when you watch him, it's the same thing after every miss putt, he, he, he looks right at Ted Scott and said it went that way. And I don't know if he's not starting the ball online or if he's just struggling with the speed. But to me, it just, I wouldn't mind seeing a change. You know, sometimes man, I know he's faithful to that putter, but he brought out the uh, his mallet putter at the CJ Cup this year. And he was talking about how well he was putting with that at home. And then he ditched it uh, in the middle of that tournament. But Maybe it's not a bad idea to bring out another putter 
because to me, the stroke looks pretty good for the most part. There's a couple things that, that aren't my favorite uh, things I like about a putting stroke, but he does do some things that are fairly effective, but still you got to find the way to get the ball in the hole. So a change maybe would be a good thing for him. When you look at that putting stroke, uh, you know, from a technical perspective, uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I've heard people, especially on SiriusX and PGA Tour channel, former tour pros, say that basically his putter stroke, his putting stroke before when he was putting slightly better was a little bit of like a loop, right? Where he, where he kind of, and, and the whole goal, you know, what he's working through right now is to kind of clean up that loop a little bit and have something that's a little more repeatable. Uh, but I, I wonder in some ways, I mean, very, two very different things, but, you know, we look at a guy like Will Zalatoris who, has a really funky putting stroke within five feet, but he's got it to a place where he can make it repeatable so that he can make those types of putts. Is there any argument at all to sitting back? You know, you, you suggested there, Hey, Scotty, maybe it's worth going back to a mallet putter. Is it worth looking at going back to the more comfortable stroke, you know, where he can make more putts, or is that just something where he's just, you know, it feels like he's committed to the thing that's going to get him to a more consistent place long-term, no matter what the short-term results are. Well, you mentioned a loop. I, I didn't know that was what they've been working on cleaning up, but you, you said Will's Alex Horse. I think a, almost even a better example would be Brooks Kepka because he actually does have a, a loop in his putting stroke. He sets it up on the toe, takes it back and loops it back in a little bit to get that putter head online. And, and he has grooved in that loop. So there's so many different ways to putt. And, but I think consistency and how, you deliver it, you know, time and time and again, I think is probably more important. You know, if, if there is some technical stuff going on, then maybe you could clean up. But I think like you're talking about consistency and how you deliver it is, is going to be very important, but I don't know. I, it, it wouldn't shock me to see him show up with a different putter at the U S open. Anything at all to the argument that I've seen in, in some places that the strokes game putting metric is a bit unfair to Scotty. And, and I, I will not profess to know how, how the, the, the inner depths of how this metric is calculated, but you know, the argument I've seen laid out is just that he's been so good in all the other stroke skiing categories that, that involve ball striking that it perhaps is a bit unfair, the expectation for him to make some of these putts. You know, there are guys who are advancing further in that category because they're hitting the ball worse. It's a great question. I'm not a, a, somebody that can give you a good answer on that besides <laughs> I just know what I would tell Scotty to go work on. And technically the one thing I noticed that he had at colonial is that he had a little bit more bend in his knees, which I think got him a little closer to his ball, his eyes a little bit more on it, which I think, I think he does need to get a little closer to his, to the ball. I think his arms sometimes get a little stiff looking to me. I think those could relax a little bit more. And I would tell him just practice 10 to 15 footers. And I would make it some type of game where you play nine holes, you putt nine putts from 10 to 15 feet. And the goal is to make three out of nine. And we're not leaving here until we do that. And you have to simulate because those are the putts when I watch him. It's like, okay, he has these putts so often. And to me, he just never seems to get those to go in, um, especially when when either they're for par, but most of the time they're for birdie because he typically doesn't miss many greens. So, you know, that's what I, that's what I would like to see him improve on is this, that 10 to 15 foot range, and maybe even stretch it out to about that 20 foot range. If you can make one more of those around, it's, it's, it's the difference between him winning and losing golf tournaments right now. Another guy who had uh, quite an eventful uh, weekend for different reasons was Rory McIlroy who entered Sunday with a share of the lead and then went out and shot a three over 75 with seven bogeys to finish tied for seventh. Uh, a lot of unforced errors with his wedges. Uh, let's start there. Um, you know, I don't know how much of this you've really had time to kind of break down and look at, but is there anything that you, that you're seeing either this weekend or just a, a trends from the, from the weekends past, you know, with his wedge game that, that is a bit of a cause for concern for you? You know, he gets so much depth in his backswing and with wedges, you know, that can lead to more push draw type stuff or feeling like, you know, I'm underneath it with wedges, you know, good wedge players. They are shallow and and being having a lot of depth in 
in any type of swing is always more beneficial in how you deliver the golf club because you're not going to be quite as steep. But for him, he he gets it kind of stuck behind him, even with a wedge. And from there, he why he hits it left is his his pivot has to slow down and his arms are playing catch up. And then next thing you know, that face turns over through the golf ball. And that's why we see a lot of his hold off shots, especially inside of 140 yards. They tend to miss left more than they miss right. So that that's the technical side of things. Um, now, just the bigger picture sort of human side of things. Uh, saw a lot of frustration today of just reactions to bad shots where he's turning around and, and exclaiming to the sky or just kind of swinging at the air. And, and it's something we also saw at Oak Hill at times. Um, I, I wonder where we're at with, with Rory and his psyche. I mean, it, it's been well documented the amount of time and energy that he spent on reformatting the tour schedule, you know, for a lot of different reasons to increase purses, to, to ward off the threat of live um, and, and how he kind of had to scale that back a little bit so that he could try to focus more on getting back on track and playing good golf. Um, you know, it very well could be the case that it's going to take time for that refocusing to, to pay off dividends on the golf course. But, you know, we came into this year basically saying, Hey, we have a big three. We've got, we've got, you know, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. And it's pretty clear that, you know, Rahm and Scheffler have distanced themselves in a lot of ways from Rory this season. So I just wonder if you just have overall concern about where he is and where he could be going, or if it's something where, I remember, I remember the beginning of 2022, people were talking about who was going to you know, play well this year, who could finish at the top of the FedEx Cup standings, win some majors, and it, and it really felt like this was going to be John Rahm's breakout year. And he had a very solid year last year, but you know, I think by his own definitions, he, he would have probably told you he fell short of where he would have liked to, to go and, and the things he would have liked to accomplish. And then here we are at the top of 23, and he's just lit the world on fire this entire season. So you know, I wonder with Rory, is it something where he's going to have to get through this season and spend some time in the offseason really resetting and refocusing and just trying to kind of get back to the places that he wants to go in 2024? Well, one of the things I've noticed with Rory, last year he didn't have to make too many adjustments, whether that was with his swing, his putter. He was in a great routine the whole year. And this year he's he's talked about how he's had to make some changes to his golf swing. And to me, when I watch him in person, I, I don't really necessarily see a tonic because it always looks good when he swings the golf club. It looks always effortless to me. And I, I guess he feels like he's a little stuck in his golf swing at the moment. But I will say he's hit a plenty of good golf shots for him to be positive. I mean, to put yourself in the final group with with kind of working through some stuff this week, that just shows you how good of a player Rory McIlroy is. It doesn't matter if he's working on things, he still can find his way into the final pairing. And and it's it's difficult to, to show up on Sunday knowing that you worked very hard on your golf swing this week, knowing it's not all the way there yet. It may not be here on Sunday. And it just came, you came up a little short. And that's it's a very difficult golf course that requires you to be so precise. But I will say I like the way he's putting it again. Um, him switching back to uh, the spider. I think he looks more comfortable with that putter, not using the line. To me, he just needs to continue to play in good rhythm and a good routine and and try to, you know, build off these last couple of weeks, whether it be Oak Hill and here where he's kind of pieced together some good golf shots to where he shows up at at LACC and you're like, you know what? I've put in a lot of good work. I can just need to be mentally ready to be able to close this thing out on Sunday because I'd be surprised again at LACC just going through all of the holes. It just seems to me that's going to be a great fit uh, LACC for Rory. That's it's interesting. And it's one definitely worth keeping tabs on as we kind of head into the final two majors of the season. And, and, by the way, worth mentioning, you know, we're talking about Oak Hill, you know, PGA championship and, and, you know, this this past weekend, you know, at, at Muirfield Village is disappointments, but both those were top 10 finishes for Rory. So, you know, kind of to your point, he's not too far off. And I wonder, you know, we, we heard him at his press conference uh, at Oak Hill talk about he said Tigers reached out and kind of has some swing observations for him that, that he's been given. Uh, we saw him walk off the green uh, at his 72nd hole uh, at Jack's place this weekend and, and shake Jack Nicholas's hand. And, and Jack, you know, caught him on a hot mic there saying, Hey, we, we need to talk. We, we need to catch up and talk about some things. And so I wonder, you know, he certainly has good people advising him. I just wonder what type of advice 
they're going to be giving him. And if it's, if it, if it's swing related or if it's, you know, something that's maybe a little bit beyond that, you know, you when your grandparents or your parents, you know, say something to you and it's just not the right time and you just get upset as like a competitor, you know, whether that was baseball when you're growing up or golf course and your and your dad's caddying for you and they, they tell you, you know, like you should have done this or like, we need to talk about this. And it's just not the right time to me, Jack telling Rory, and we all assume we know what he's going to tell him. It's like, okay, you have my number, Jack, like, or Mr. Nicholas, excuse me. Like we could have maybe not aired that out there. And I really just didn't want to hear that. You know, I just shot three over in the final round and uh, feel like I could have been there in that final uh, or at least in the playoff, you know, that, <laughs> that's, that was my takeaway from that. I don't know if you feel the same way. I think there's definitely something to that. And I think Rory really handled it with grace. And I also like to extend some level of grace to Mr. Nicholas, because, uh, you know, I, I, I'll say it this way, just this last week at his press conference, he extended an apology of sorts to Jay Monahan for at the Honda classic while being interviewed revealing parts of the PGA tour schedule for next season that he was not supposed to speak about, not realizing that, that information was not already, you know, or that was under wraps and was not meant to be released until much later. And so, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a, Hey, I see that there are cameras over there, but like, I'm not quite sure when these are on and when these are off. And I'd like to just use this opportunity to say something to you. Um, so I'll give Mr. Nicholas the benefit of the doubt in that context, but yes, I very much agree with you. Probably not the best time to get the, grandfatherly piece of advice of like, Hey, we need to talk and talk about things like, Hey, I'd like to go maybe break some things. Cause I just threw away the chance to win a designated event, $3.6 million. Yeah. I think he was probably closer to, you know, kicking 12 milkshakes and or hitting three irons at him and exploding them than, than wanting to have a sit down chat about his wedge game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a rival video. I'd love to watch it was something, maybe a little something promotional next year. Rory hitting yeah, fingers at, at uh, milkshakes. We have a bonus guest for you this week. You may have seen Rory McIlroy wearing a training aid on the Mirfield Village driving range last week. It just so happens I use the same device. I wanted to bring on the PGA professional who co-invented that training aid, David Woods, to better explain its use and what Rory may have been trying to achieve with it. Here's our conversation with David. All right, guys, we got David Woods joining us, uh, co-creator of the pro sender. He's a director of golf at the vintage club out in Palm desert, California. If you want to follow him, you can follow him on David Woods, PGA, uh, in, on his Instagram, as well as the pro sender on Instagram, David, this product is kind of taking the golf world by storm. It's a product that I think is fantastic. We saw Rory use it this week at the Memorial, as well as many other pros. Can you just tell us with you and Sean Foley, how all of this kind of came about and where, where the original idea uh, stemmed from. Sure, sure. Smiley, thanks for uh, having me on, Charlie. Uh, appreciate uh, being here with you guys. Um, yeah, it's been a, a wild week, to say the least. Um, and we can get to that. I'll just kind of start from the beginning. This is something I've been working on for probably close to two years um, with the original, just the, the original thought of being the wrist cradle of, you know, there's, there's so much talk about risk conditions in the golf swing and you see it, uh, you know, there's a, there's definitely a myriad of, of different ways you can uh, set your wrist at the top of the backswing. But if you look over the course of time, uh, the best or 80% of the best kind of look like that Adam Scott, Tiger Woods, flat left wrist, little uh, extended trail wrist, uh, pretty neutral. You know, you want a, you know, a certain amount of shallow, but you know, not so much that, uh, it doesn't match up for most people's rotation. So um, it just kind of got me thinking. Um, and just as I got older, I felt like my left wrist was getting cuppier. My lead arm was getting more in. Maybe I wasn't rotating as much as I'd like to. Uh, so I just, I kept kind of fiddling around. I'm like, gosh, if there was something where you could just, you know, a mold to lay it into, but it wouldn't force you into the position. Cause that's the problem with most, you know, training aids. You, it can make your swing look great while you got it on, but how do you translate that? as you, as you move out of it. So we want to give you a destination to go to, but not force you into it so that the motor skill learning just was kind of a, a just a little bit more enhanced and, and maybe less time consuming. So kind of started with that. And then Sean Foley and I've been close buds for a long time. He was at my house, maybe Christmas this last year. 
and I was explaining to him that I was getting ready to launch this product. And then we got talking about an idea he had with the smaller ball that goes in the wrist joints that he used very successfully with Lydia Ko to bring her back from, you know, the high ranking that she had kind of crept up to and brought her back to world number one. So we kind of got talking, I'm like, it'd be great to have a three in one aid where you can, you know, utilize just that wrist cradle on a, on a Velcro snap uh, onto the, onto the wrist uh, with the cuff rather, or, or use them all together or just use the cradle on its own. So we kind of decided to, you know, do this together and uh, it's been a whirlwind. We've been uh, selling product for about 120 days and we've just like blown every expectation out of the water. And there's over, I, I think we have nearly 50 tour players using it right now. And, and uh, uh, I mean, you, you were using it for a while there and it, I mean, your swing looked fantastic with it. What do you think? I still am. Still am. I use it every time I go, go to the range and, and working on the golf swing, man. It's for me, it, it was something that, I had been working on trying to get a little bit more is the word extension in the right, right wrist to where it goes more this way. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And then the lead wrist, I was trying to get a little bit more yeah. flexion to it. So it was a correct. The combination of trying to get those, the, the proper wrist structure for me, I, I've started to feel like I could start using my body more in the golf swing. And can you talk about why the pro sender is good? So good with being able to use your body and your bigger muscles just by simply having the correct wrist structure. So like, like we said earlier, just the idea of being in a neutral position, flat left wrist. I mean, you, you'll see some variation, like obviously uh, Rory's got a little bit more cup in his lead wrist, mm -hmm. but left, less so with, with the pro sender on. I think it's getting in a position that he feels comfortable. We kind of heard in his own words this week. And you could also be maybe a, a touch into flexion with the lead wrist. But overall, we want a pretty neutral setup. But the reason you're feeling, you know, more uh, incentive to use the body is because it also limits radial deviation, which is the upward extension or hinging of, of the wrist. So with, with the pro sender, it's got a little lip here that grabs your thumb and index finger on your kind of that trigger area where it'll, it'll grab that. And it limits how much you can hinge your wrist basically is the easiest way to say it. And when you limit hinge, you'll find that players rotate their upper body more and they feel wider and higher with their arms because they're looking for width and height and they can't really cheat it with a short arm run and a dumpy kind of, you know, overdone wrist. And it was kind of, you know, back to originally when I kind of messed with this, I thought, okay, now how am I going to bring this to market? Is it even worth doing? And uh, it sat in my office for probably eight months until uh, Davis Riley was over in my place and we were just messing around hitting some balls and and he was talking about how he kind of you know wants to, to you know make his swing just a little bit more connected and he was getting a little runoff you know we call it runoff where the arms and the body stop their pivot and the wrist just kind of keep getting dumpy so I, I said hey I've got this thing in my office I want you to try it and he's like oh my god you got to make this right now so Davis was kind of like the catalyst for me to say okay gosh you know I you know I've been planning on this but I'm now I'm going to do it and then I kind of went into motion I've had success with other training aids and I just thought, you know, I, I now, I feel like I, I know what to do to bring this to market and, uh, you know, to bring Sean in and, and be a partner with, with him is great. We're really close friends. We work well together. We complement each other on our skill sets. Um, and it's just, it's been outstanding. David, you mentioned that whirlwind from launch on, but specifically maybe in this last week when I guess most of the golf world saw on Wednesday, Rory on the range wearing this device. Did you know he was going to practice with that training aid this week at Muirfield Village, or was that a surprise to you seeing those images for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised and, and thrilled. Um, I'd been talking to him just over text, you know, the, the four days prior to that. He was telling me just how much he's enjoying it, and it, it helps him do what he's trying to do in his golf swing, and gave us permission to, to post a swing of his, which was, you know, overwhelmingly generous of him. You know, a lot of guys won't do that. Like, Rory's a cool guy. He's done this twice for me before it's just I'm, I'm super grateful for him and then for him to just you know have it on the range and for a couple hours on Wednesday and then there was all kinds of stuff popping up so uh yeah it's it's uh it's exciting it's it's been great we know it's a tool that really works you know this isn't just like a hey it's exciting and it works for a couple tour players like this works for everybody I've been coaching with it for probably a year and a half Sean used it with every student all of Sean's tour players the, the tour players I coach they all use it every time they're on the range. So, it, I mean, it's a legit aid. I think you'll see Rory continue to use it. Um, it's, you'll, you'll probably start to see a lot more guys use it now after, after Rory kind of uh, 
set that tone. But yeah, exciting week and uh, really, really fun to see see how it is. I look forward to seeing them this uh, this week at the Canadian Open when I head up there. Did you expect it to be this popular? Yeah, I mean, I I expected that we knew the process that we were going to operate to bring it to market and make it successful, but it's a crapshoot. I mean, you really don't, you don't know if something's going to be accepted. Well, I just knew it worked. And I knew that, uh, you know, between Sean and I, we, we have some level of reach in the golf business. We know a lot of people. And I think when you get a little buzz around it, get in other people's hand, hands, it, it, it helps. Um, but, but like I said, I, I think the real reason that it's, it's, you know, successful is that people are using it and finding, you know, a lot of instant feedback on making their golf game better. We heard Rory earlier this week, you know, talking a little bit about his swing and specifically how uncomfortable he felt over the golf ball at Oak Hill. You know, he said a couple of notes he provided were he felt like he was aiming right to compensate for a fear of that left miss. He, he said he was fighting the face a little bit. When you hear him say those things, you know, how do you feel like pro cinder can help correct those issues? Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't want to put words into Rory's mouth just because I haven't really had a deep dive with him. And, and, you know, there's so many people out there. Like I heard, a, I heard somebody on the golf channel today in a breakdown after his round talking about how he's trying to get his lead wrist more into extension, more cupped in his lead wrist. And I'm like, no, nope, that's not what he's trying to do. So, I mean, I, I'd rather just, you know, Hear, hear more from him. I, I think ultimately, you know, he would probably say that his lead arm has been a little bit low and behind him, a little too much depth. And that causes a little bit of what we're talking about. And the pro center incentivizes you because you can't get too overextended. If you get into the proper position in that cradle, it kind of promotes a higher lead arm and, and a little wider swing. Um, that, that would be what I would guess he might say. Um, but I mean, he's Rory McIlroy. I mean, this guy, he could play left-handed and beat 90% of the world. So I'm just happy he's enjoying it. And I look forward to, you know, seeing how well he does in the, in the weeks coming up. David, one of the coolest parts about this device, besides the pro sender and what it provides in the golf swing, the ball that, that attaches for as a Velcro piece that can fit in between your arms, that is effective, not only on the driving range, I took it to the bunker. I took it to the chipping green. I took it to the putting green. And I found even just disregarding the pro sender, because at that point, it, it there's hardly any devices that you can get a ball in between your arms to make your big muscles be connected to your arms as you chip and as you putt, which for a lot of amateurs is a huge issue that I see is the disconnection between their arms and their shoulders and how they move, how you can use it in so many different ways. is so neat with this, with this uh, particular product. Yeah, no, it's great. And that was a great add on, you know, where Sean comes in with, you know, the forces and torques that are applied to the grip and the full swing, the closer that ball is to the wrist joints, it just allows for that squish where the trail wrist pushes into the lead wrist and gives you that ability to get the, you know, the grip into the right, you know, position leading into the ball and then when you talk about putting and short game yeah I mean it's great my son uses it to putt all the time I've used it a little bit I've just been so busy I haven't been using it as much but yeah it, it's fantastic and I think you know we saw last week um, and he continues to use it Cam Smith uh, he likes just using the wrist cuff and the ball without the cradle that works best for him we're seeing you know we're seeing a lot of that so uh, you know, it, it, there's something for, for everyone. I'd say the vast majority of the guys are really loving the, the wrist condition when they get into that cradle. But for some guys, uh, they just like it for that sensation of connection and width with just using the ball. So to your point, you can use it for every club in the bag. Somebody posted on Instagram the other day, it was a long drive guy was like into a simulator. And he was, you know, he had like over 200 mile an hour ball speed with the pro center wrist cradle on, which shows that you can use every club. And it shows that the durability of it holds up to that kind of torque and flex on the grip. David Smiley and I were talking before we had you on here tonight uh, about other training aids of yours that you developed. You're a fairly prolific creator of these training aids and just sharing, you know, different points and feedback we received from those aids, but obviously at a very different level, you know, Smiley coming from a professional perspective, mine from an amateur perspective. So I'm just curious when you are going through the process of designing a training aid, do you have difficulties, if any, in creating something that works for both a professional and an amateur player? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think obviously when we're creating stuff, we have that in mind. We want to, 
let's be honest, you want, you want a, a tour player to endorse it or, or to feel like they can use it or it helps them because that certainly, you know, is validation of the product, number one. It, it's, it's great for marketing, number two, but the vast majority of the people that are going to be using this product are amateurs. And that's where you have to really put your focus is how is this going to work for the everyday golfer? Um, it's aspirational for them when they see a tour player use it. Absolutely. Um, but if, if something's really good, it should work for everybody. You know, every golf swing has a lot of similar elements that people are trying to get to, whether they do or not. You know, we, we know that the center of mass of the club head, uh, center of mass of the golf club with the club head, we'd like it to be behind the hand path leading into the golf ball. That's kind of like something that everyone should be trying to do as they rotate through. You know, the, there's, there's some consistencies with the golf swing, right? We want to stay in our posture, all of these things. We don't want the shaft super steep coming over the top. So, I mean, the commonalities are where you have to base your thoughts around. And make, you know, you want your widest net to be cast when you're trying to deliver product that, that you're working on helping the vast majority of players. I tell you what, David, you got us sold and you already had me sold because I love the product. The pro sender is something that I use every time I go to the range, even when I'm not even on the range, I'll still put it on and, and try to create some feels in my golf swing. The product is it's very efficient. We've seen 50 plus tour players uh, use this product and uh, David, thank you for inventing something so useful for the game of golf. And I'm sure we're going to have you back on here. And if you want to follow David, follow him on Instagram at David Woods PGA as well. If you want to track, check out that pro sender, it's pro sender golf on Instagram, David, thank you for your time. And it was fun talking a little shop with you. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Big thanks to David for stopping by to talk to us about the Pro Sender. It's one of my favorite swing devices that I use. Y'all go check it out. Shifting gears a little bit here to the LPGA, uh, where, I, I, again, you know, we've been seeing a lot of this, these storybook-type scripts, you know, Michael Block at the PGA Championship, uh, you know, and, and this is maybe even a, a equally amazing, if not more so amazing story. Rosang, who is just about a week and a half removed from winning the NCAA individual championship and playing with her Stanford teammates um, at, at those team championships uh, enters her first event at the Mizuho America's open uh, played at Liberty national and goes out and wins the golf tournament. She uh, entered the her 72nd hole of the week with a one shot lead uh, ended up bogeying that hole, uh, which forced a playoff with Jennifer Cupcho. They go out uh, and play 18 again. Uh, they both make par their first go around, then run it right back, reach it, and she makes a par, and, Bo and Cupcho makes a bogey on the second playoff hole, and she wins that tournament. So, Smiley, I don't know about you, but I am so ready to overreact about uh, Rosang's career potential. So, she's one for one. Uh, how, how high is the ceiling for Rosang? Well, I'm going to throw it right back to you <laughs> and say, how fast – like let's say let's say it's June it's June fourth now will she be the number one player in the world in in a year from now? Will she be the number one player in the world? That that is a fantastic question. I don't know how the world ranking system works for women compared to men. I don't I don't know how fast you can rise. Typically, in the men's game, the way that OWGR always worked, the less tournaments you had, the faster you can move up, the better you played. I don't know if it's quite the same like it is for the women, but if that is the same, like the denominator, if you have a low denominator of tournaments, the faster you rise, if she comes out and wins, you know, three of her first four or something like that, she's going to move up quick. Well, and, and so, and I will also just on the record say, I, I am not, I don't know the ins and outs of the, the, the Rolex uh, women's world golf rankings either. I do think that there is some sort of precedent for what you're talking about, because I think it was just last year, Ataya Thitikun just skyrocketed up the rankings. And it, and it was, I think it was either near the end of the year, maybe it was heading into the last term of the year, which Lydia Ko ended up winning. She was number one player in the world heading into that. So I, I don't think it's, it's out of question for Rosane to, to do the same sort of thing. I mean, you're looking at the names at the top of that rankings and it's, you know, Jin Young Ko is the number one player in the world right now, followed by, Nelly Corda, Lydia Ko, Lilia Vu. I mean, there's some, there some, you know, really good players near the top of that list. But, you know, we know how much talent Rose has. And I think a lot of people were preaching patience and saying, you know, hey, let, let's give her some time to bed in. Well, you go out and win your first tournament. Naturally, people are going to start asking, all right, great. What, what's the next thing that you have set out for? So I, I think um feels like now, now she has 
full membership on the LPGA tour, right? Prior to this, and she was, you know, she was going to get some sponsor exemptions at a certain events. And we knew she was in the U S uh, women's open at Pebble beach and a few other events. Now she, she's, you know, could be on the tour full time. She's eligible for the Solheim cup. So I think, you know, really the sky's the limit for her. And I just, I, I'd just be really curious to see how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah. This, I mean, the sky is going to be the limit for Rose. It's good for American golf. I believe that's a really nice to have someone like Rose come up through the ranks who in, in the women's game is in a good place. I, I've been impressed with the quality of golf I've watched on TV, the, you know, from Nellie quarter to Jessica quarter and Lexi Thompson, all, you know, all these girls that, that are, I mean, it's so talented when you watch them on TV and um, when you, especially when you play with them in person, I've played with Lexi multiple times and it's, it's impressive. And uh, I, I think a lot of people aren't aware of how, how good these girls are. And, and Rose is a great, you know, going to be a great asset for the LPGA tour. I think she's going to be a superstar. Yeah, I mean, if it, it, all you can do is watch highlights. I mean, go back and watch the hybrid that she absolutely threw a dart on that second playoff hole to set up, you know, the winning two putt, uh, you know, at Liberty National, just to kind of show you how talented she is. So, so re- really cool for the LPGA. Definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on. With that said, Smiley, not a not a ton of time left here in the uh, the podcast episode for us, but you know, of course, what do we do when we're not uh, talking about golf or you know your boots on the ground covering golf? Uh, we're naturally out playing golf, so I think it's worth you know covering some of the weekend escapades, starting with a uh, little action we saw on your Instagram on on Friday night, some some glow golf. There was some headlamps involved. You were hitting like absolute tracers with a driver with some sort of blue glow type of ball like give us the give us the rundown on, on your friday night activities yeah uh, uh my whole course the Savi country club they had uh night golf and we played nine holes at about five o'clock so it was during the day or during the during the late evening play nine holes four four man scramble had some of my friends out there uh we, we had a good time let's put it that way and and we went and had some more derbs right before the night golf started so I tell you what, those glow in the dark balls were incredible. I think it was, they're called glow balls, I believe. And you could see them so clearly. So the video I posted was, I mean, it was, that was a, a frozen rope. I hit that drive on and <laughs> yes. And we I didn't know they great. went that far. I mean, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know they physically have the capability to be hit at that, at that swing speed and that, <laughs> and that ball speed and not just disintegrate in the middle of the air. I was happy. I didn't crack my face because typically those balls typically are, are, are a little on the firm side. So yeah, it, it, maybe it is cracked. I got to go check, but uh, <laughs> play also did a, uh, our season long member member at Shoal Creek match play. We played uh, this afternoon and played with a buddy of mine and we, uh, we were victorious two and one victory. Uh, I actually played very well. Uh, I made eight birdies and an eagle and just literally went off. We were playing like our member tees, so it was very short. But still, I mean, it was it was fun to go out there in kind of a match setting. And, you know, I hit a lot of really good shots. I putted the crap out of the ball. I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm, if, if I could putt for Scotty, we'd win a lot of stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, we need to find a way to kind of Frankenstein that combination together. Um <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. We we texted about this earlier. That's that's quite the day. I, I wish I wish I had a little bit of that juju for 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 my part of the golfing equation uh, out at Hope Valley Country Club in Durham, North Carolina. This past couple of days had had the big member member tournament. Um, on Saturday we were we were t- there's a three way tie at the top of our flight. Uh, you know for for the lead and uh, it's also. We, 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 we've gone to this very bizarre form of gambling this year where you had to buy packs of cards mm. and each team had X amount of cards. You had to like acquire your card to get paid out at the end of the weekend. I, I, I didn't love it, I'd say, but that did not prevent me from at the Saturday night reception dinner going out and spending way too much money on all four of my team cards that I was hoping to cash in the next day. Um, and then, listen, we went out there. Uh, we're recording this Sunday night, of course. So went out there earlier today. We were two shots off the lead with two holes to play. Went birdie birdie to get our way into the shootout and came up short. It's it's the, mm. the second time in three years we made it to the shootout. Just couldn't get it done this week. Um, real shame. I, I will say, Smiley. A lot of questions were being asked at Hope Valley Country Club. Are we going to see a Smiley Coffin cameo at the <laughs> member guest? Which I unfortunately told him he has prior obligations. But just know there's a lot of Smiley Coffin related buzz 
at I HBCC. It. I love it. Uh, I'm a big, uh, the member guests right now are my majors and I look forward <laughs> to competing in any member, whatever, because it's always a great time. And quick shout out too to David Woods for coming on and talking about the pro sender. Uh, in my hour warm-up I had today because I wanted a little grind session before I went out there in the match, he was kind of talking about getting a little more width in my golf swing with my right arm. Charlie, I mean, I had this thing on a frozen rope. I put the pro sender on that right hand and then just try to get a little bit of width in my downswing. Man, I mean, it was so nice and refreshing to to not see the golf ball start three degrees right every time. So that was fun. I, I'm excited about uh, the way my game's trending. I, I, as far as, you know, playing in anything, I have no plans to do that. I, I'm working the rest of the year, but it was really fun to go out there and play some good golf. I think that's the the thrill of this game, getting that freedom back. And uh, I'm looking forward to playing some, some good golf the rest of the year. I'm kind of excited about my golf game. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, we were on the David Woods record and you were having a good laugh at, at me trying to follow things you were saying and doing things <laughs> with my arm. And I, I will I, I tried a little bit of that out on the range this weekend. I, I wasn't actually sure how to properly uh, implement Didn't that in my game. But uh, no, you're listen, already a little you're already a little steep. We got to figure out how to just get a little bit more shallow in that P6. <laughs> that's that's uh, that sounds like it's an endeavor that's worth taking up. So we'll we'll work on the shallow game we'll work on a I, listen there, there are plenty of uh victor hovland youtube videos out there worth watching so no that's that's a great report on the smiley front what what you know what about that because that, that's that's the question that i've heard asked a lot like what are, what are smiley kaufman's future golf playing plans look like so a lot of stuff that's going to be you know member guests member members you mentioned those are your kind of your, your majors just kind of for fun right now no idea man uh it wouldn't surprise me to like see myself go play in a two or three day little mini tour events anywhere around kind of where I live. But other than that, I'm not traveling to go anywhere to play because I've been traveling so much this year. You know, I've committed to the broadcast game here for the next couple of years and see where my game is, see where the broadcast stuff goes. And, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. This has been, uh, this has been uh, very fun. It's been fun. If you need a mini tour caddy, I'll throw on the GoPro. We'll crank out some content for the fastest hey growing TikTok account in America. <laughs> we are here Smiley for content. Content. I know y'all are here to make, <laughs> make some money, but we are here to film some content. All about the content game. Uh, well, very good. That is all for this episode of The Smiley Show. I'm heading up north this week, and I will be boots on the ground for the Golf Channel at the RBC Canadian Open. But before then, I'll have another great conversation to share with you in the feed on Thursday morning. So make sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you then. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.